Amen. Thanks, Aaron. And Aaron, we talked about how, um, unfortunately, Allison and Lauren have different names because there are two Nathans up here and two Aarons up here today. Uh, I'm so thankful and glad to be part of the band today. They couldn't find anyone else to possibly play the box except for uh, me. So I got to sit in with the band, which is a lot of fun. I hope uh, Craig Williams, our, our resident drummer, is feeling better. He's got some knee issues. So Craig, we hope you're doing well, but it's good to be in Nashville where we have a, a wealth of musical talent. I, I got to know Aaron Legrone and Allison Legrone when they were students at uh, Forest Hills, and Aaron led worship eventually for our uh, high schoolers at Forest Hills, and I got to do their wedding eventually, so it's cool to see uh, just all those worlds come together, and uh, so grateful for all the talent that we have in this town that is able to lead us musically, more important than their musical talents, like Aaron Duncan, our minister of music and worship. All of these guys are humble uh, worship leaders who love the Lord. They are lead worshipers first more than they are worship leaders, which I'm uh, thrilled to have them here today. How beautiful are the screens that bring good news? As my buddy Brad said, I've been quoting him a lot this week. Uh, here we are with technology uh, being the, the avenue, but the, the word of God still does not return empty. You're going to hear the word of the Lord proclaimed today. And my prayer and my hope is that you have an encounter with the living God who inspired and who uh, produced this revelatory text that we're going to read today. So I'm excited to continue this series uh, during Lent. We never expected it would end up this way, that we'd be doing it virtually, but here we are. Uh, next week, we're going to enter into that season known as Holy Week, as we celebrate a, a Palm Sunday unlike any other. We, um, we found out we will have palms. They, they said they were going to cancel our palm order, but Praise God, they're going to deliver. We're going to have, we reduced our palm order to 20, so we're going to have some, some palm branches uh, for your viewing pleasure at home next week. And over the last four weeks, we've, we've been in these texts in the Gospel of Matthew um, that refer to these Lenten themes of confession and repentance and fasting and prayer. And, and the whole point has been to realign our lives' trajectory with the trajectory of God. We want to uh, take a minute to step back and to reevaluate our priorities, what's most important to us, and make sure that we are walking in step with the Holy Spirit uh, as we uh, move towards this precious day of Easter Sunday. Uh, today, we're going to tie it all together and talk about what it means to truly see and know Jesus Christ as he is as we look at a passage that many of you uh, may know of in Matthew chapter 17. Verses 1 through 9, uh, it's known as the transfiguration of Christ. You know, uh, whether we planned it or not, uh, this pandemic has affected all of us and has really forced everyone to give up something. Uh, many of us, uh, like Trey said, have given up memories or maybe a, you know, a trip or a vacation. Uh, some of us has, have given up going into the office, and uh, we've all given up um, putting our kids in school. Uh, those of us who are now uh, becoming homeschool experts uh, but whatever it is that you have given up, my, my hope and prayer is that you will see this as a Lenten journey, a, a time of, of, of fasting and removing ourselves from our daily grind, from our normal routines in order to re realign and refocus uh, on what is most important in our lives. So think about that as we read our text for today from Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 through 9. As Again, I would ask you, wherever you are, if you're watching at home, 
to stand up if you're able to, to get off the couch, get off your chair, whatever it is that you may be doing, uh, to stand up in honor of God's word as I read our text from Matthew chapter 17. Hear now the word of the Lord. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them and a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them saying, rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can have a seat. You know, my oldest son, Jude, recently told me that as of Wednesday, his favorite sport is football. He's played two seasons of flag football, which I know some of you say is not real football, but it's a great way to learn the game. And Jude loves the X's and O's, and he got to play quarterback this last year, and he played on one team the, the first year, and then a second team this year, and he told me, Dad, my second team, we got this kid this year who's great. He's, he's such a, a good athlete. He's going to be a superstar on our team. And I said, that's great, son. And we went to the first practice, and he said, Dad, th there's the kid, the, the new kid who's going to be so good. And, and he was easily the smallest kid on the team. And I, I was wondering, you know, Jude, what are you talking about? This kid is a great athlete. This kid really is going to be a, a super football player. He's tiny. What could he possibly do for your football team? But soon as the practice began, they started the drills, this, this kid just flew through the drills. It was clearly more coordinated, more agile, more speedy than any other kid out there. And when they began to scrimmage, you know, seven on seven or something, they just kept handing the ball to this kid. And every time he touched the ball, he would somehow juke his way into the end zone. And it reminded me that looks can be deceiving, right? Appearances are not always reality. What we see doesn't always match what the potential or for truth and reality actually may be. Our text today, we see uh, that appearances are deceiving as we look at the transfiguration of Jesus. If we pay close attention to this text, we're going to see several lessons as to who Jesus really is despite all appearances. Who exactly is Jesus of Nazareth? Who is Jesus Christ of the New Testament? Who is this Jesus that we symbolize with the cross behind me and on so many churches around here? The way that we answer that question of who is Jesus will determine how we live our lives, both in this world and in the next. Who was Jesus to the disciples? The disciples knew him well. They had left everything behind 
in order to follow their rabbi from town to town. They were basically homeless wanderers who followed this this apparently self-taught rabbi, Jesus of Nazareth. Who did they think Jesus was? Well, just like in our day now, back in Jesus' day, there were lots of rumors and theories flying around about who exactly Jesus was. And in the previous chapter, in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus engages his disciples with these rumors and with these theories. Look at Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 to 16. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? So they tell him the rumors that they've been hearing. Look at verse 14. And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Man, I love Peter. I love him so much. I do, mostly because I just relate to him in so many ways. He was probably a seven on the Enneagram like I am. He's, he's always ready with an answer. It may not be the right answer, but he always has an answer. I always have something to say. It may not always be right or the right moment or the most tactful, but I always have an answer. Peter's that same way. But he actually nails it this time. He, he speaks up for the, the disciples, and he, he gets it absolutely right. Jesus is not a, a reincarnation of Jeremiah. He's not John the Baptist raised from the dead either. Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one, the one that the Old Testament prophesied would come into the world to rescue this broken world and put it back together and bring it back to God and restore the people of God back to God himself. He is the rescuer, the Christ, the son of the living God. He's the pre-existent logos. He's the eternal word of God, one with the father and the spirit from before all time, now and forever. That's the truth that is made clear in this text about the transfiguration. But here in chapter 16, Peter didn't yet have the advantage of, of seeing the transfigured, all-glorious Christ. So he's really just taking a stab at the question, who do you say I am? He didn't really know what he was talking about. He didn't really understand what he was saying when he said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He was kind of taking a shot in the dark, which gives me hope because I don't fully understand this whole Christianity thing either. A lot of times I don't know all the answers. I, you know, people say, oh, you're a preacher. You should know all about the, the Bible and understand it completely. There's a lot of mystery still to me. There's a lot that I have to take on faith, just like Peter did. The Bible says that's okay. 1 Corinthians 13 says, now we see as though through a mirror darkly, but one day we will see face to face. We will fully know, even as we are fully known. That's the hope we have. Uh, one day we will understand this. This will all make sense and be clear. But for now, we have to walk by faith and not by sight. That's the point of Christianity. It's supposed to be lived by faith. The righteous will live by faith, not by sight. And so this is what faith is all about. Faith is, is making a confession, a bold and confident, hopeful 
confession, even not fully understanding it. That's what faith is. I love what Rich Mullins says about the creed, that this is not something that we're making up, though. This is something that's making us. This is something that is forming us. What we confess to be true is what shapes our lives. It shapes our character, our habits, and our destiny. This text about the transfiguration is graciously given to us by God in his word in order to strengthen our faith to encourage us to make a great confession like Peter did, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's really the whole point of, of the sermon today. I just gave it to you there in the first 10 minutes. So why does Jesus take these three with him out of the 12? He doesn't take all the disciples. He takes Peter and James and John with him up this mountain to witness this great event. Obviously, he wants them to see what's, what's going to happen. He even wants them to tell others about it. Verse 9 says that, uh, you know, don't tell anyone until the time is right. When God's perfect timing comes together, then tell everybody what happened. And look back at verse 1. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, his brother. And he led them up a high mountain by themselves. Why, again, are, are these guys the elect of the elect? Why are they the chosen of the chosen in order to go see this thing? Clearly, they are special to Jesus. These three are sometimes referred to as the inner circle of the disciples. Jesus loves them. Why? Is it because he likes them better? No. It's because he has a plan. It's because he has a purpose for these three guys, a special purpose for them, a special mission and calling for these three. I love the, the story in, in Galatians chapter 2, verse 9. It's also in Acts where the Apostle Paul, after receiving this vision and this mission to go to the Gentiles, he shows up in Jerusalem and he goes to, to First Baptist Church, Jerusalem, and he meets these three people. Look at how Paul describes them. When James and Cephas, you know, Cephas means rock. That was the name that Jesus gave to Peter. That's Peter's new name. And John, who seemed to be pillars Peter, James, and John are the pillars of the new church, and they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me. These three men became the leaders of this movement that would be known as the church. When the Holy Spirit showed up in Acts 2, it was Peter and James and John that became the pillars of the church. Also notice in this first verse, the not only who went, but where they went, it's on a mountain. Mountains matter in the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is called the Sermon on the Mount. You're not here, I just assume you said it at home. <laughs> in chapter 14, Jesus goes up on a mountain to pray. In chapter 15, he heals and feeds a crowd where? On a mountaintop. Even the Great Commission in Matthew 28, if you read back a few verses before the Great Commission, it, it says the disciples went to the mountain that Jesus told them to go to. So the Great Commission was given, of course, on a mountaintop. Mountains in the Bible have always been a, a place of special revelation where humans and God get close together. Think about Moses receiving the law where? On Mount Sinai. Or when Elijah was, was running away from the death threats of, of Jezebel and he went to a lonely mountain where God came to him in a still, small voice. So in this awesome setting on a mountaintop, 
an even more awesome thing happens. Look at verse 2. Jesus was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. The word for transfigured here means transformed or changed. We don't know exactly what happened, but we do know that apparently Jesus lit up like the brightest star in the universe. The brightest thing that we know in our world is the sun. That's the only thing that, that Matthew can compare him to according to the testimony of Peter, James, and John is that Jesus shone like the sun. And many, many years later, when the old apostle John, who was with these three and who witnessed this thing, when he was living in exile on the island of Patmos, he received a vision again of, of Jesus Christ. And here's how he describes him in the book of Revelation when he wrote down this revelation. In verse 16, he says that Jesus's face was like the sun, shining in full strength. One commentary said that this is Jesus Christ superstar, not in the sense of being famous, but in the sense that he is a superstar. He, he becomes brighter than those celestial beings that are, are made up of, of burning gas and they're the brightest things in our solar system. Jesus is, is something bigger and better, infinitely brighter than even a star. Why does Jesus shine when he is transfigured? When the curtain and the veil of his flesh falls, why does he shine? Because he is God. He is God of very God. He is one with the Father and the Spirit. We we sang a line from uh, Psalm 104 in the first song we sang, How Great Is Our God Today. Bless the Lord, O my soul, O Lord my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as a garment. He wraps himself in light. When the Shekinah glory led the Israelites in the wilderness, when Moses met with the Lord God in the tabernacle, when the, the, the pillar of fire went before people. When the, the glory of God filled the temple in Exodus chapter 40, it's all represented by light. God's divine glory is always represented by brilliant light. Jesus shines with this divine glory of God because he is God. The only reason that Jesus didn't blind everybody everywhere that he went is that he chose to veil his glory. He gave up that awesome divine glory of God in order to not terrorize everyone and to blind everyone everywhere that he went. But now, with the, the dullness of the earthly conditions temporarily removed and stripped away, these three disciples get a glimpse into the true nature of the son of the living God. His glory is on full display. And Moses and Elijah show up out of nowhere and they begin talking with Christ. I'm sure they have a lot to say. Two of the greatest prophets of the Old Testament would have a lot of amazing things to, to talk about with the Son of the Living God. I wish I could have heard that conversation. And guess who speaks up into this glorious scene? Peter. Bless his heart. <laughs> So he says in verse four, he just can't keep his mouth shut. He says, Lord, that's a good way to start a sentence. Lord, it's good that we're here. 
Okay, that's, that's a solid observation. You probably should just drop it right there. If you wish, oh no, I will make three tents here. Peter, Peter, come on. One for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. There's two real problems here. First, Peter doesn't understand the, the temporary nature of this glorious revelation. It's only for a season. It's a great moment, yes, but there's more to be done. Jesus had just been telling them at the end of chapter 16 about how he must suffer and die and be raised again. That's why he came to earth. Peter's forgotten about this whole cross thing, this whole thing about suffering that must take place before the crown of glory is given finally. Again, many of us would prefer the crown without the cross, but that's never been the way of Christianity. The gospel of the crown has to go through the cross. The second problem is that Peter seems starstruck by the wrong stars. He's grown up with these stories about Moses and Elijah, and he's, he's so excited when they show up, and he, he seems to think that Jesus is, is just another prophet. He seems to think that Jesus might just be on par with Moses and Elijah. It's, it seems that way because Peter says, let's just make three tents, one for each of you, because you're all these great prophets. We don't know if that's what Peter was thinking, but it doesn't really matter because a corrective came from heaven itself. The voice of God the Father speaks. Look at verse 5. Peter was still speaking. I love that de detail. He's still speaking. There's no end in sight to Peter's rambling, and God the Father shows up and just speaks over him. When behold, a bright cloud, again, the divine glory is bright, sh overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. If you want to make a note in your Bible, I think this is so uh, neat and important to see. The, the holiness of God is, is terrifying. It's, it's awesome in, in the true sense of that word. And it, it, it sparks fear in the sense of separation, how profane and common we are when encountering the high and holy God. We, we are like Isaiah, woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. God's holiness is terrifying, but look at the next verse. But Jesus came and touched them. God's grace is incarnational. God's holiness is terrifying, verse six. Verse seven, God's grace is incarnational. It comes in the person of Jesus who condescends to our level and touches us in our moment of need. That, that sentence takes on more meaning in the midst of a pandemic where we have to social distance, doesn't it? Jesus comes and touches them. And he says to them, rise and have no fear. Oh, that we would hear those words from Jesus today. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. There's six lessons that I'm going to give you here. Just if you are taking notes, if you're the note-taking type or you want to do it on your phone, you can do that. But there's, there's six key takeaways here in this, this passage that I want you to see. Two that come from these verses that are a corrective to Peter, but they also are a corrective for the rest of us who tend to forget exactly who Jesus Christ is. 
So these six lessons point to who Jesus is and how we should then respond. The first point is to listen to Christ in order to live. Look at verse five again. This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. There's so many voices in our world that are competing for our attention, even while we're social distancing, thanks to these screens that you're watching this on right now, we have a plethora of competing voices, not only competing for our attention, but for our allegiance. They're looking for our affection. They're looking for our loyalty. They're looking for our dollars and for our time. In the midst of all these voices, God himself speaks to us. God the Father says, the path to life and to flourishing and thriving as I have set you up to do is found in listening to my son. Yes, pay attention to him. Obey his commands. Listen to his words in the Sermon on the Mount and seek to live them out, actually put them into practice, and listen to his words on the cross. It is finished. His blood speaks a better word than all the empty claims of this world ever could. The second lesson for Peter and for us is that salvation is found in no one else other than Christ. Look at verse eight. When they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus. He could have left it there, but Matthew adds the word only. Our culture really objects to this kind of, of exclusivity. You know, every religion makes exclusive truth claims. We believe that Christianity is the most inclusive, exclusive truth claim because in Christ all are one. There is no Jew or Greek, male or female, slave or free. But it's important to note here that clearly there is no one else but Jesus in whom hope is found. Moses and Elijah have done their jobs. They've done their part. They're gone. Now it's time to look to Jesus and to Jesus only. In a, in a world that's competing for our allegiance, let's proclaim boldly, in Christ alone my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. The third lesson about Jesus' true identity is one of the, the most important ones, is that Jesus is all glorious. What does that mean? Well, remember back when we studied the Gospel of John last year, we walked through the whole Gospel of John. One of my favorite verses in the Bible, John 1, 14. The same John who experienced this transfiguration writes these words in the prologue to his Gospel. And the Word, the Logos, the eternal Word became flesh and dwelt among us, tabernacled among us. That means he moved into our neighborhood. He pitched his tent and dwelled among us. And we have seen his glory. John especially has seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. We've seen his glory, and it's full of grace and truth. Hope and love, both. There are lots of shiny, sparkly things, a lot of great things in this world, but none of them shine brighter, none are fairer than Jesus Christ our Lord. It is right and proper and good and logical to give our lives away for that which is most glorious. And there is none more glorious than Jesus Christ. I believe that with all my heart. 
It only makes sense that we would give up our whole lives in order to gain that which is most glorious. Fifth, uh, or or before we do that, let let me say this in uh, Doug O'Donnell's fantastic commentary on Matthew. He he says that because Jesus Christ is, oh, run fourth. (laughs) Fourth point. Jesus is more than a great man. He's more than a great man. He's not just a great leader, like a a businessman who founds a company. Morgan and I watched the Steve Jobs documentary while we're quarantining. He's not just a a great leader. Neither is he just a profound moral ethicist who gives us words like Sermon on the Mount in order that we could live a good life or like those uh, WWJD bracelets say, what would Jesus do? And just ask that question and you'll, you'll succeed. That's not just what Jesus is. He's the son of the living God sent to earth on our behalf. O'Donnell says that this means three things, that Jesus deserves our acknowledgement, which means you are our Lord and God. It means that he deserves our adoration, which means we fall before you, we worship you. And it means that he deserves our obedience. We will listen to you and what you have to say because we believe it's best. Fifth, now let's do the fifth point. God uses not so bright people like me. I'm talking about not so bright both in the sense of lack of holiness and being not so smart. He uses not so bright people to bring into this dark world what 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 6 refers to as the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We get to bear the image of God. We get to bring the light of the knowledge of the glory of God that we see in Jesus Christ into a dark world. People like Peter, people like me, who speak before we think. God uses us and he uses you too. No matter what you've done, you are not too far removed from the love of God. Sixth and finally, crossless Christianity has no power. You know, sometimes doing something that seems good for God and and for Jesus can actually be a a very bad thing for the church and for the world. If Peter had gotten his way, then they would have just hung out on that mountain forever, basking in the glory of Christ. And we wouldn't then have a Christless Christianity. We'd still have a moral teacher, but we would have a crossless Christianity. Peter wanted the crown, not the cross. The gospel has always been rooted in the atoning work of Jesus Christ on the cross and his victory over death and his resurrection. That's why Paul tells the church in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Who is Jesus? What if Jesus looked you in the eye today like he looked his disciples and asked, the same question, who do you say I am? Appearances can be deceiving. We know that. There may not be anything immediately compelling to you about Christ or about Christianity, about the church maybe, but we can see in this passage in the transfiguration that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. We can come to him by grace, through faith, confessing him to be the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one of God through whom salvation has come alone. Even when we don't fully understand what we're saying, we can come to him and say that. 
I love the song from Andrew Peterson, The Great Confession. I was a boy, just nine years old. I heard the call and came. They buried me beneath the water. Then I rose again. Well, you know, my dad was a preacher man. I walked the aisle and I took his hand. He said, son, just do the best you can and say the words. I believe he is the Christ, the son of the living God. And I believe he is the Christ, the son of the living God. All I know is that I was blind, but now I see, though I kick and scream, love is leading me. Every step of the way, his grace is making me. And with every breath I breathe, he's saving me. And I believe. So when my body's weak and the day is long, when I feel my faith is all but gone, I'll remember when I sing this song that I believe. And I believe he is the Christ, the son of the living God. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for this story that's more than a story. It's a revelation of who you are. Thank you for teaching us that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. I pray that you would encourage our faith, strengthen us to follow you more nearly and more dearly today as we are encouraged to drown out the voices of the world and to listen to you alone. Pray these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Thanks for watching today at home. Uh, we appreciate it. Go in peace. We're going to sing a song uh, still if, if you're uh, watching online, and I'll give a benediction after that. But whatever response that you need to make is today in your heart, you can do that right where you are. The thing about Christianity is you don't have to be in a church building to commune with God. You don't have to be in a church building to make a decision to follow Christ for the first time. Maybe you've, you've never surrendered to the call of Christ. Maybe you've been listening to the other voices in your world. And today, the, the hound of heaven is after you, and you know that. And you're ready to, to accept that free gift of salvation that comes by grace through faith. If that's you today, then I encourage you to make that decision right now. Call the number on the screen. Uh, talk to Trey on Facebook. We can walk you through it and, and help you make that, that decision to follow Christ. Uh, maybe you realize that you need to be a part of a church family, and even in this strange time, you want to become part of Woodmont Baptist Church. We can talk to you about being a member, even if you're not here physically. We can still do that. Whatever decision it is that you need to make today, please don't uh, turn off this broadcast until you've done that. We invite you to sing with us the truth that Jesus has paid it all. We don't have a crossless Christianity. We have a Christianity that's rooted in the gospel of the atonement and the atoning work that Jesus has done for us on the cross. Let's sing this together.